The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Career Day on the MarTech Podcast. Today we're going to learn about the skills accumulated and lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on his career. Joining us for Career Day is a CEO, an experienced technologist with 30 years of general management experience, a marketer, and a product developer. Peter Mahoney is the CEO at Plana, which helps marketers easily create and manage plans and marketing budgets. Marketing teams can use Plana to consolidate their goals, plans, campaigns, and budgets all into one place for full visibility, collaboration, and efficiency. Peter is also an active board member on a collection of growth stage B2B sales organizations and charitable causes. Okay, here's my interview with the CEO of Plana, Peter Mahoney. Peter, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me, Ben. Great to be here. Always excited to talk to a marketing vet, somebody with some real experience. You've been a marketer for 30 years. You've done product. You've been the CMO, an advisor, a board member, a whole bunch of different stuff. And you're also running a new organization, Plana, that we're going to talk about in a second. But let's start off from the beginning. I'd like the MarTech community to get to know you a little bit. Let's start off by talking a little bit about how did you get into marketing? Well, I tell you, Ben, it was an accident. I think this happens a lot. If you look at marketers in the arc of their career, some of the most interesting marketers, let me put it that way. I don't know if they're the best ones, but the most interesting ones came from a slightly different place. In fact, when I graduated from university back in the late 80s. Where'd you go to school? I went to Boston College. Boo. Sorry, I'm a BU grad. Oh, that's right. Right (laughs) down the street. You know, there are many famous broadcasters who came from BU, of course. Howard Stern. Benjamin Shapiro, not the political podcaster, but, you know, the marketer. I suspect that you don't model yourself after him. No, and I wasn't in the communication school. I was in the business school. But anyway, lots of great calm people at a BU. BC is this great school as well, as much as I don't like their sports teams. Excellent. Well, like you, you ended up being a broadcaster, and I ended up going to school for physics and computer science and ended up being a marketer. And the reason is I actually took my first job out of college thanks to an advisor I had who said, hey, you should go talk to IBM because they hire lots of smart young people. And I ended up interviewing for a job as a systems engineer, which is a sales engineer, pre-sales technical thing. And along the way, they said, hey, we think you'd be good at marketing. And I said, 
oh, okay, that sounds pretty good. That's something, you know, you can tell the ladies in the bar would be impressive. And I decided that, yeah, I'd take the marketing job. Fast forward. I've got a couple questions before we fast forward here for a second. Okay, go ahead. First off, why would telling the ladies in a bar that you're a marketer help with any of your personal endeavors? And second off, why did the people at IBM and why did you agree think that you'd be a good marketer? Well, the first question is a very complicated one. And I can tell you, I was not very successful on that front, which is why I've somehow convinced a brilliant, beautiful woman to marry me 27 years ago in Strong. And it's a good thing because on the open market, I wasn't very effective. Let me put it that way. Sounds like you got it done at least once. Can't be that bad, but okay, I get your point. You only have to have a conversion rate, not necessarily a high conversion rate. You just need one to be happy. Let's go on. That's right. So on IBM's side, what happened was IBM uses their own lingo. When they told me that it was a marketing job, they didn't tell me that inside IBM, when you say marketing, you actually mean sales. So I had no idea. Literally, I came from a line of scientists. My dad and my two older brothers are PhD scientists. And I was embarrassed to say that six weeks after I got there, I figured out, oh my God, I'm in sales. They didn't tell me this. This is frightening and terrifying. And I thought it was just the worst thing. So I ended up spending five years at IBM in sales jobs. And then I took my first job after IBM. I worked for an early stage company that was doing some video conferencing stuff back in the day when that was new. And I took sort of a business development role back then, an alliance role. And my first marketing job came there during that company. It came because I was about two years into the company. I had made a name for myself as someone who would work hard and was pretty smart and pretty good at communicating to people. And there was a new division within the company that had a head of marketing who was struggling. They ended up firing him. And the general manager of the division came to me and said, need a new head of marketing. Will you do that job? And I said, sure. So literally, my first job in marketing was heading marketing for a division of a public company at the time, which is a little bit scary, but that's how it happened. It sounds like you had some executive experience or at least managerial experience early in your career. You started off as an individual contributor. You kind of get the shove into marketing or sales, but then you actually end up doing marketing. Talk to me about what you learned from the experience as an individual contributor before you started working as a manager and eventually an executive. There were a bunch of things that I learned at that stage. In fact, I'll talk about this in a few minutes, but one of the things I found that was really helpful in my career is that I took the risks where sometimes I went from a managerial job to an individual contributor job again, because it was sort of that non-direct path to learn something that I thought was really useful for strategically building my career. And what I learned typically as an individual contributor is you have to be the one who does the work. You go in, you research exactly what has to happen. So in the case of this first company where I took on the head of marketing for this division, I spent a lot of time in alliances and sales and business development and then ended up in a job as a sales manager. But before I was a manager, I was actually doing the job myself. And I found that to be incredibly instructive because it really gets your hands dirty and you can understand what your employees are expected to do because you've actually been doing it before. So I found that really helpful as an individual contributor. There's a funny trait for people that are career executives that their job is to, as they say, lead, not to read. I'm paraphrasing the Simpsons movie. 
where they don't have to be a specialist. They don't really have to understand the principles of a channel. They're just the executive and the end decision maker, which is a skill. But a lot of times what I see working with CMOs that have had lots of different experience, not necessarily a marketing background, is they don't really understand marketing. They're just trying to manage their team. Sounds like you had some operating experience early in your career. Tell me, as you moved up into you know running the division at IBM, what were some of the other roles that you had that were impactful in that early stage of your career while you were moving from individual contributor to manager? A couple steps along the way that I found really helpful. One was when I spent a fair amount of time on the go-to-market side. So early in my career, again, even with a technical background, I started out on the go-to-market side and I did this stint as a sales manager and then running marketing for this division of this company. I then took a role sort of in a corporate marketing role, which was kind of interesting because it was taking a different perspective on marketing. And then I decided what I really wanted was more product experience. So I ended up taking a role as the head of product development for this company. It was called PictureTel. It was eventually acquired by a company called Polycom, now called Poly, which is out in the Bay Area. And the opportunity I had was to really get my arms around how products get built. And I figured no better way than to actually do it and be in charge of it. So I took on a role as a sort of individual senior product manager kind of role. And I found that going and figuring out how to do things was an incredibly valuable way to learn. And I found it really helpful to understand as much of a complete picture of the way a company worked by understanding as many of the different departments, what each function did. I found that to be super valuable in my career. So you had an engineering or a technical background and part of the mindset of an engineer, not that I'm one of them, but from what I understand, is figuring out how to put the puzzle pieces together, figuring out how to make things work. It sounds like you're using that skill set to learn and be a great product manager. Talk to me about how you view the overlap of marketing and product marketing and really what's the difference? It's a great question. In fact, I find that some of the best CMOs have spent a significant amount of time in product marketing because product marketing is one of the more strategic areas of marketing because you need to go figure out what the market needs, what the message is to communicate to the market, what the market size is, what the opportunity is. So it's a high business relationship with the market. And I find that extremely powerful and useful in the process. The one thing I'll correct you on, though, is that I have less of an engineering background and more of a scientific background. And the difference is that a background in science tells you that you're actually about running experiments and seeking the truth, even if the truth isn't what you like. And I find that to be incredibly helpful in marketing as well as all elements to business is the ability to measure, to run experiments, test things. And if it didn't work, a lot of marketers make the mistake to try to spin things and say that it worked. But if you take sort of a more scientific approach to it, you'd say, this is the experiment I ran and these are the results. And the answer is it didn't work. And that's actually super useful. I was going to make a joke saying there has to be some sort of conflict in your head of being a scientist and thinking about finding the truth and then working in sales, which is about avoiding the truth sometimes. Obviously, I'm kidding. 
data-driven marketing is something that's becoming more prevalent. The concepts behind marketing, the technology that's being used, the approach towards marketing is moving much towards being about data-driven decisions. So I understand how the way that marketing has changed sort of played into your favor with a scientific background or at least a mindset. As you went from individual contributor to eventually a manager, talk to me about how that mindset helped you become a successful manager and how did your career move forward because of it? Well, in a couple of ways. One, as I said, this whole ethic of trying to identify what's right and what's the truth is extremely valuable. So as a manager, I'd spent a lot of time coaching my employees to try to tell me what the truth is. And as an example, one key thing that is a really important factor for a manager is someone who doesn't punish someone for telling you the truth. And that's the approach that I took is I tried to encourage people to give me the clear answer. So if it was a sales role, tell me, is this customer qualified? What's the forecast? What's the data behind the forecast? And if we're not going to make it, then we need to know that and we need to adjust our plans accordingly. But I think a lot of people who spend their time exclusively in sales or exclusively in marketing like to make things seem nicey-nice to everyone. And sometimes it's better to actually share what's really happening. And if you take an unemotional view of these things, the most important thing is just understanding the truth. So encouraging that out of your team is one of the most important things that you can do is get people to share exactly what's going on and don't punish them for telling you bad news because sometimes bad news is the most important. It's funny, when I was working at a big company, a lot of the ways that you get ahead was to work on a part of the business that's thriving. So there was a fair amount of, well, my channel's performing better than your channel. Look at this data that I've picked out all the bad data points from to try to get ahead. And that is something that happens on a lot of organizations. And when I went from being an in-house marketer to a consultant, People appreciated hearing the bad news much more. It's like, finally, somebody that's going to tell me the truth because their career isn't on the line if a channel doesn't perform. Eventually, you move from being a manager, working towards your team, hopefully learning the aspects of telling the truth. And you moved along from being a director to a vice president into more executive roles, specifically at Nuance Communications, which is the maker of the Dragon language processing software. Am I correct? Yeah, voice recognition and AI kind of stuff. Voice recognition. Seems like that's kind of a big deal these days. Talk to me about what that role was like. It seems like maybe the most recognizable company on your resume. Talk to me about that role specifically and what did you learn? You were there for a long time. Yeah, in fact, that's one of the keys, Ben, is that I found the times when I grew most in a company is when I spent a significant chunk of time within a company, enough so that you could build a reputation, hopefully a positive one, that's a good trick. And once you have a positive reputation, then as someone who's gonna work hard, be smart and get good results, then as things inevitably change within a company, you get an opportunity to fill in a box and try something new. And that's what happened at Nuance. I started at the company back in 2004, when it was a much smaller, it was about a 150 to $175 million annual revenue company. When I left 13 years later, it was about a $2 billion company. But when I joined, I ran marketing for one of the divisions. And I was recognized as someone who knew what he was doing, would tell the truth and was a valuable participant in the company as an executive. So I was given the chance to take, in this case, an underperforming part of the business, 
that was an interesting opportunity. It was the Dragon software business. The consumer-facing version of Dragon had been kind of ignored inside the company. And I looked at it as a great opportunity, one, to take on, this was my first true general manager role. You know, I owned the full P&L for the business. It was also, for a while, a total individual contributor role for about a year because I literally had nobody. It's like, take this business, which was at the time, you know, in the tens of millions of dollars, but not that much bigger than that. And I ended up more than doubling the business in three years because we were able to focus on fixing some of what it turned out were pretty obvious problems and accentuating the opportunity that we had to build and effectively use marketing to expand the business opportunity for that part of the business. So talk to me about what you did. I'm curious to hear a little bit about the strategy. You come into a, not a small business, $10 million in revenue. I'd love my business to have $10 million in revenue, but for a large enterprise, it's not a game changer. And you saw some significant growth and you're doing it by yourself. What was the strategy? What was the mindset? How were you able to, to turn the tides? It's interesting. It was actually a little bit bigger than that. It was about $50 million business when I started and over $100 million when I finished three years after that. And the approach that I took was one, just deeply understanding the products, the customers, and the market to try to get a sense for what the issues were and what the opportunities were with the business. And it turned out that after spending a lot of time talking to the actual end customers, and this was a product that sold for starting at about $100. So there were a lot of individual customers. After talking to some customers, I found this incredibly loyal customer base that was out there, but they were frustrated with some things. They were frustrated with the support model, as an example. So it was a pretty easy thing, frankly, to do is listen to the customers, assess what's going on with the business overall. And we found out that by simply doing a better job advocating for and supporting customers, you can turn these annoyed customers into super fans. And then the super fans were basically incredible amplifiers of your message. And you take those amplifiers combined with a little bit of investment in demand creation, and all of a sudden you can build up a pretty interesting growth business from that. So that's the approach that I took, but it started by understanding and listening, just going and talking to a bunch of people from the customers to the engineers, to the support people, to the salespeople and figuring out what's going on here. And because I've always been in this mode of sort of running experiments and trying to understand what the real truth is, you basically get a baseline of a diagnosis of what's going on. And then you need to put together a wellness plan. It's pretty straightforward. So you mentioned the things that you were thinking about is product, business, and customers. Is that the framework that you use when you're evaluating a business, when you're starting from scratch for any business? Or is that just something that you were thinking about specifically when you were at Nuance? It turns out that, not surprisingly, that's a pretty common and useful framework to use to look at a business. It's not complete, but it's a good start, right? Understanding who the customers are, understanding, therefore, what the overall market might be, understanding the go-to-market, how do you actually bring the product to the market, understanding the product itself and what are the capabilities, what's unique about the product, and then understanding all the stuff around that surrounds it to make a whole product. So a product people often think about in the software world, especially about the ones and zeros, but the reality is that it's often the whole experience that matters. And the good news is that as the world has grown to embrace software as a service, as a business model, you've seen, I think, much better behavior from software companies who have to keep satisfying their customers so that they keep the revenue coming. 
But before that, when people used to just pay up front for the software, I think people cared a lot less about ongoing support and the ongoing experience. But it turns out that that makes a huge difference too. So you were thinking about marketing from really a holistic perspective of not just who the customers are, can you make them into amplifiers, but working with the product and also thinking about the business. Eventually you moved into a general management role at Nuance and eventually you moved into the chief marketing officer role. Talk to me about the difference between being a GM for a product within an organization and then wearing the chief marketer hat. Yeah, it was an interesting transition because I was a pretty independent, smallish unit of a large company, about a $100 million business. And as a GM, you have a pretty broad authority to make changes and make things happen. And you have a fairly constrained set of products and messages and market, et cetera. And I ended up taking on the role, and again, largely because of this idea that I'd stayed at a company for a long time. I'd been there probably seven or eight years at the time, had developed a strong reputation, grew this business, this dragon business through really effective marketing. And the CEO came to me and said, hey, I think it's time that we put in a real CMO in the company because the company never had one before. Would you be willing to do it? Which has been a pattern throughout my career. Basically, go do good things, focus on doing your job well. And people keep giving you executive marketing roles like they're candy. Exactly. So that's what happened. But the transition, the thing that was different, Ben, I had to go from, I had a lot of control as a GM, right? You can turn all the knobs and levers yourself to having to be in a role where I had to influence a very broad and complicated organization to get things done, especially in a $2 billion public company with four product divisions and a bunch of senior executives who you had to influence to basically convince them that they had to listen to the way the CMO wanted marketing to happen inside their company. And it required a lot of one-on-one heart-to-heart conversations and trust building with each of the other executives to get to the point where they believed that by shifting our approach to marketing, we could create a rising tide that was helpful for all parts of the company. So it turned out that most of the work that had to be done was sort of hand-to-hand combat and developing relationships with other senior executives in the company, while at the same time providing a good sort of strategic direction for the marketers to help them feel like, hey, we're going somewhere that we all believe in and paint a picture for what success would look like in marketing. So you're 26 or so years into your career. You're working at a multi-billion dollar company. You've got an executive role. And then all of a sudden there's this big transition that happens in 2017. You jump off the cliff and you go and create your own B2B SaaS product. Two questions for you. What the hell are you thinking? And what is the product? Why did you decide to make what you made? Well, my wife asked the same questions, which was kind of interesting. I asked that because my girlfriend asked me the same thing when I started my startup, and I just know how this conversation goes as well. I want to hear it from you. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I had been an executive at a public company and at a company that actually paid really well, largely because it was a difficult place to work. So there's often a lot of hazard pay involved. So the good news is that I had a nice war chest that I developed 
And my wife was on board from the beginning. She knew that I wanted to build something from zero. I had worked in startups before, never as the founding CEO. She knew I wanted to build something from zero. So she was supportive. And basically I said, well, we're going to run an experiment. Just like I've taken every other element of my business. I said, run an experiment. I'll know pretty quickly whether this thing is going to work or not. And we'll invest N dollars. I won't tell you the number, but it was a reasonable amount of money, but not too much money. Now, fast forward, I've now spent six N in the company. And she's still your wife? Yes, she's still my wife. Okay. And she's very happy, but it's harder and takes longer than you think. It's like building a house, right? It's more complicated. It takes longer. It's more expensive. But in the end of the day, you have this incredible sense of satisfaction. So that's the journey that we went through in the beginning. And that was just over three years ago. So I'm three years in and couldn't be happier. All right. So tell me, I know, but for the listening audience, tell me what Plana is and why did you decide to invest 6N in this business? First, I'll tell you the problem because I felt the pain as a CMO and as a CMO of a company who not only was a pretty decent sized company, but also was very acquisitive. During my 13 years, we acquired 100 companies. And I noticed a couple of things. First of all, it was really messy. And two, it was incredibly difficult to get your arms around the money. So where's the money going? How is it connected to the business objectives that you have? And how does that all combine together to create a plan that you can actually change if the world changes around you in real time? And virtually everyone uses spreadsheets to do this today to, you know, they create a plan, maybe it's in PowerPoint or in a Word document, they create their budget and they track all that stuff with a bunch of spreadsheets. And it was just an unholy mess. So it was very difficult for me as a CMO to really have any control in real time of what was going on. So I decided there was a big opportunity and further thought that by taking some of the modern software techniques that we had learned at Nuance around building intelligence systems that leverage AI kinds of things, you ought to be able to make things faster and easier and better. So that's what we built. We built Planet to be an integrated platform that connects your planning, your budgeting, your performance tracking, and gives you a single integrated view of how you're doing with your marketing. Because at the end of the day, your job as a CMO is deploying resources, both human and financial, toward achieving your objectives. And there aren't any good tools to do that. So that's what we decided to build. God, I'm going through this right now as we speak. We're using Asana for strategy. I have my CRM to try to do our sales. We've got Airtable for our content management system. We have, you know, all of the various marketing tools. We don't know how to evaluate campaigns. Some campaigns are for our brand. Some campaigns are for our sponsors. I understand the pain. Now, I guess the real question for me is getting organized and sort of marketing the organization and the evaluation when people already have their own cobbled together systems seems like a really challenging problem to fight as a marketer, as the leader of the organization, as a scientist. How are you figuring out what the need and the interest for this type of product looks like? Well, as far as determining the need, I spent a lot of time early days talking to people we had to figure out, is this something that I just work in some weird company and no one else has this problem or is it a generalized one? And we had the benefit with all those acquisitions of seeing a hundred times new marketing teams come to get integrated and you saw that it was a fairly consistent problem. But then I spent a lot of the time early days of the company just researching and talking to people and seeing if there was a real problem here. And I found out that there was. So we decided to 
march forward and try to solve the problem in a generalized way. And you brought up, Ben, some of the most important things that are the issue. The issue is that there are lots of great tools for marketers. In fact, the marketing landscape now has somewhere between seven and 8,000 tools out there. It's a big number, but the reality is most of them are point solutions and most of them are designed for things like the delivery of a message. There's very, very little to do what marketing leaders do is sort of manage marketing leadership. So we think of Plana as an intelligent marketing leadership platform. So it's the platform you use to build and execute your plans and track the money. And those are really valuable, important things. If you can do that part better than someone else, you're going to be far more successful. And the tools of the trade for doing that were built in the 1970s. Basically, it's what VisiCalc was. It was built in the mid-1970s. And that's the kind of technology people were using. And it just doesn't make sense to not use something more contemporary. So you've gone from being an individual contributor working at IBM for, I don't know, 10 seconds. All of a sudden, you're running a marketing department. You learn some product, you decide to go to nuance, you're marketing as an individual contributor. Again, move all the way up to the CMO level, you jump off the cliff, you start your own product. As you look back on your career, what is the general thesis? What has helped you be successful? And what advice do you have for other marketers who are interested in following a similar career path? Well, there are a few common things. First of all, there is no path. The way I think about it is, by the way, I'm famous for using analogies I know nothing about. So I'm going to use a sailing analogy. I don't know anything about sailing. But I think when you sail, at least when I've seen it on TV, you pick a destination, but you don't especially go in a straight path. There's tacking involved because you have to move around based on the weather conditions and you have to sort of adjust your path, keeping in mind that there's some future goal. And managing a career is not too different in that you may have a future goal of what you want to do, but sometimes you have to go off to the side a little bit and do something a little bit different. So it's important to understand that. It's also important, as I've talked about a lot during the last 20 minutes or so, the idea of telling the truth and basically getting to the truth is incredibly important. And it's also really incredibly important to have a holistic view of a business when you're trying to build a marketing career. So that's why taking a role in product or in sales or in finance or in HR can be incredibly valuable to you because you understand all the elements of a company. And most important for me is when I started looking at the business as a general manager, it really forced you to dive in deep and really understand every single line item of the P&L. And when you really dive in deep, then I think it makes you a better marketer because you start to understand what's driving a business, where are the good parts, where are the bad parts, where are the areas for optimization. And you make decisions a little bit differently if you understand the business holistically. As an example, some of the best marketers will do things like say, we should spend less in marketing this area and spend more in product or more in sales. And that's the sign of someone who's looking at things from a strategic perspective not selfishly just building the biggest budget for them, but really looking at how do I solve the problem for the business? And just because you happen to be the person who's in charge of marketing doesn't mean that the answer is always marketing. It may be that you need to shift things around a little bit. And if you look at it as a good steward of the business, you're going to end up making better recommendations and decisions. 
I think that there's two general themes that stick out to me as you talk about your career path. One, your scientific approach and looking for the truth and accepting whether something is or is not working and taking that as data, not as something personal related to the performance of your work. I think that's an incredibly valuable lesson. I also think that the mindset of being a marketer focusing on acting like a general manager and understanding what marketing's role in the organization is also very important. And my guess is it makes you a strong leader at Plana as well, is marketing has a specific role within an organization. And sometimes it needs to be at the forefront. Sometimes it needs to be a support system for other parts of the organization. And that's always going to change as much as the marketers we hear say, hey, we need more budget and we want more resources and marketing is very important and oftentimes underutilized or underappreciated, it's important to know where it fits into the organization. Peter, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, telling us a little bit about your career and giving us some of the learnings that you've picked up along the way. Great. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, Ben. All right. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Peter Mahoney, CEO at Plana, for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Peter, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet. His handle is nerdcmo, N-E-R-D-C-M-O, or you can visit his company's website, which is plana.com, P-L-A-N-N-U-H.com. Just one link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com. We've got summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You could sign up for our once a week newsletter. You could send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app, and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.